Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I'm your host, Coach Jason Coop. And on this episode of the podcast, I wanted to put the spotlight on one of our amazing everyday runners, the runners that we have the great privilege of working with each and every day that might not make the cover of Ultra Running Magazine, yet provide incredible inspiration to me and to our coaches. This episode of the podcast features Michael Coffey and his coach, Stephanie Howe. In June of 2020, Michael set a then FKT on the 310 mile Superior Hiking Trail in Northern Minnesota. It's a trail that he had tried at and failed before, and at the age of 69, decided to take another crack at. We discuss his training and nutrition and how he worked with Coach Stephanie to be prepared for this attempt, the hallucinations that he had while out on the trails, and what went wrong during the course of the attempt as things of this nature inevitably have at least one failure point. Michael is somebody that I find inspiration from, and I hope you do too, regardless of your age or where you are in the pack. All right, I'm going to get right out of the way. Let's get into it right now. Here's my conversation with the incredible and the ageless Michael Coppy and his coach, Stephanie Howe. First off, how do you feel? Oh, I'm I'm great. Uh, you know, uh, partly. I mean, I'm certainly recovered from everything. Um, and one of the nice things was, as you probably heard, there was some controversy with my course route that I took. And so it's nice to have that behind me now. <laughs> Did you get <laughs> so? Let, let's set the stage a little bit. How many weeks are you out from doing? The Superior Hiking Trail. Um, let's see. What is it now? It's got to be two weeks. Two about? weeks. Yeah. So two weeks is kind of like an. Does that like, sound about right, Stephanie? I think you're a little further out than that. I three? Think you're closer. Three and a half. Yeah. Oh, three and a half. Because it's okay. July. I mean, it's the second week in July now. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Time o- goes by fast. Ultra running <laughs> amnesia. <laughs> takes its case regardless whether it's a one-day race or multi-day race or whatever it is um so you're a few weeks out let's just put it let's just put it that you're a few weeks out super big effort we're going to go over how big that effort was but i mean like how's the body holding up oh it's it's good i'm you know stephanie's got me back doing long runs again so um yeah it feels good to get back I'm just going to comment. Michael has an incredibly resilient body and has recovered faster than most humans I have ever worked with. <laughs> is the recovery any different than it is during a normal, like big ultra or anything like that? Or do you think that it's relatively the same? Well, for me, the the physical recovery from just the miles was not that hard. It was the uh, sleep deprivation, which was definitely the hardest part. Okay. And that that took, you know, like at least a week and a half. So let's set this up a little bit because a lot of people will know want to know about the sleep monsters. How long is the Superior Hiking Trail? How long did it take for you to do it? Okay, so it's 310 miles and uh, it took me five hours or five days, three hours and 44 minutes. Oh, man, that's a lot of running. And yeah. This wasn't something that was planned out at the beginning of the year, I take it. 
Uh, it actually was oh, because it was. I attempted it. Yes, I I tried it last year, and about the same time, and uh, ended up at a hundred and. 36 miles with a stress fracture. And so I knew I wanted to go back this year and try it again. And so this was in my bucket list to do. And how long has it been in your bucket list? Maybe, um, you know, two, three years, I suppose. Okay. So you've had it on your radar for a while. What initially like put it on your radar? Well, just living here. I mean, I live right next to it and I train on it all the time. And, um, actually probably maybe seven, eight years ago, I, I had a goal of running the whole thing, but over two year period. So I would go out and try a section and usually I ended up having to do it twice because I would park my vehicle, run out, and then have to run back. You know, some of them I got picked up and dropped off. But I did end up doing the whole thing over a two-year period. So, And then after doing that, then the wheels started turning. Well, what if I could do the whole thing? And at that time, it wasn't finished. It only got completely finished. It was, you know, before, at that time, it was like 200 and. 50 or 60 miles. It wasn't completed down at the southern end. And then I started, as they were completing that southern end, that started interest me because I went there and ran it, you know, like in its first stages when they were just sort of grubbing out the trail and it wasn't even hardly marked and there was no precise finish point. Um, You know, I only knew approximately where the end was and then as I saw that develop, then that, you know, and I felt like, okay, now the trail is really done. Um, then it interests me more to go ahead and try this. And when you were scouting it out, regardless of what stage, like the trail was like roughed in, did they plan on extending it even more? Or they said, listen, this is the continuous length of trail. It's going to be here to here. It's always going to be here to here. And once we're done, we're done. Yeah, I'm, I mean, they, they had the boundaries, which was the, you know, Canadian border and the Wisconsin border. So that was the end of it. The only thing that with this trail, it's never really done because they have various things that happen. Like the one thing that was um, sort of whether I was doing the right course or not was because there was a bridge out and now the board has decided not to rebuild that bridge. And so they have a new route going around this over the stream. And of course they've, I know a year ago they had a a problem with a, a lot of this goes over private property as well. And they had uh, a dispute with a private landowner and had to reroute the course. And so I don't think this course is ever done. I mean, it's always going to be moving, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. But basically, the northern and southern borders now are set. And so the in-between is going to always be moved some way. So you have this trail that you're familiar with. You've been out on it for years at various Mm -hmm. stages of its whole development. Did you ever have a sense of 
how long it would take you end to end? Like when, how did that start to manifest? Like in your mind, starting to do the math of, okay, if I did this section in this time and this section in this time, it's going to take me five or six days. Right. Well, I did look at the past FKT holder and he had done it in six days and eight and a half hours. And so I kind of looked at that and looked at, you know, how I knew the trail went and kind of figured how many hours it might take me. And, you know, and if everything went, you know, super, I could maybe do it in this kind of time and kind of knowing my own pace and, and stuff. So that, you know, I did have a spreadsheet when I went there and, you know, had an idea of what I was hoping I could do if, and I, my spreadsheet was overly optimistic for sure. Um, but I thought, you know, I might as well try for the best I can get and, and then just have to go to plan B as it goes. So it was over op- optimistic in what way? Like how fast do you think you could go? Right. Cause my, my, my spreadsheet actually showed me finishing it in like nine minutes under four days. And so, you know, you could say four days. Well, that that would have been really ideal and everything went fine. I didn't miss any trails or do any extra. I mean, I did do some extra this time and you always kind of do. And and just, you know, everything falling together 100%. Um, that, that was ideal, you know, but weather and all those things. So, I mean, I did have a lot of, I was fortunate and a lot of things did fall together very well, but there were a few things that didn't. So (laughs) we're going to talk about those in a second, but before we, before we get to the trip itself, I want to bring Steph into the mix here. Steph, when did Michael approach you about getting ready for this endeavor? Yeah. So I think the first time we talked was just after the new year. So uh, maybe January, um, he contacted me and it, partly cause we have the connection. I'm also from Minnesota and I grew up hiking the superior hiking trail. So mm-hmm. we had a conversation about his goals and, um, you know, this was pre COVID and it, there was a very, um, a good choice this year to have a FKT project rather than a race goal. So we started early in the year and, um, really just kind of outlined what it would look like working into June to prepare him for this this trail and it's it's a it was a little tricky just because Minnesota is there's winter (laughs) there's a lot of snow and so he wasn't able to get onto the trail until pretty like far into the spring Um, but we started with the training um, you know back in January. And when Michael put together the spreadsheet that he's alluded to is this something that you two collaboratively did or is Mike just like, this is what I want to do. You got to get me ready for it. it so he shared that with me um, a couple months before the start. And it was really well laid out in terms of like the, the aid state or I guess the, the points where he could see crew um, and his pace. So it was, I, I mean, I had some feedback, but his, his initial plan was really realistic based on his training that he had done and, um, pace he was able to cover. And then some of his experience 
in running the 200 mile races. And so we talked about it a bit, but, um, you know, like he said, it was best case scenario. And, um, I mean, <laughs> over five days, you know, a lot can, can go wrong and a lot of variables get thrown your way. So I think it was still a pretty successful close to plan what he actually was able to execute. I, I love the fact that close to plan in this scenario <laughs> is a whole day. Like the plus yeah. or minus there is, is, I mean, pretty much 24 hours worth of yes. being out there. Yes. So, so Michael, take it, take us through this. You've alluded to the fact that things went awry at some point as they do with any FKT. This is like the summer, you know, COVID summer of FKTs and personal projects and things like that, which is the theme of this podcast and something that has come up kind of time and time again is the best laid plans don't always go to plan. So take us through what you experienced like day by day and where were some of those times where you got lost or you had something really challenging happen, things like that. Yeah. So, you know, the first day went pretty well. We got a little rain on and it made things a little slippery. We had a slowdown because of that. There's a lot of uh, boardwalks and, and sort of bridges that you have to cross and, and the wood when it gets wet gets really slippery. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was fall. So I was really cautious in the beginning, especially. And so we slowed down um, the pace considerably, even the first day because everything was wet. It, we weren't it was a real light drizzle, so it wasn't really much rain to deal with in terms of mud, but it definitely made things slippery. So um, so that slowing down, you know, I don't know how many hours it added on, but it definitely added a few hours on, and, and we were a little behind on the first day schedule. I don't remember how much, um, but I know we were behind after the 24-hour period, and and then the, the second day, I know we had the, probably the Lookout Mountain, which is probably the most challenging section, I think, of the whole trail. And we did that during the night, um, which makes it even more challenging. It's, a, it's a, you know, one of the nearest, highest points and very rugged. And um, I was so wiped after doing that. And it was kind of a funny conversation with the pacer that had taken me through that. And, and that was, uh, I believe like a 10 mile section from crew to crew. Um, and then, you know, I sat down with the crew there and ate a little something and, and, and I felt like totally wiped. And, uh, and then he says, well, now we got to get up and do a 12 mile section. And I just thought, man, how am I going to keep doing this? And so, um, so I was a lot more wiped than I thought I would be. And, and I had last year, I had made it. That's about the point I had dropped out last year from the um, uh, injury that I had. So it was really, a, it was nice to get past that point that where I had dropped out. And so. Um, Did you do any celebrating when you passed that point? <laughs> well, just internally, just, you know, it was kind of like a relief, you know, as like a, you know, as kind of a demon that I just needed to get past, you know, and, and, and I kind of, you know, I felt confident that I would anyway, but, um, but just, uh, 
that reality that I was now running on ground that I hadn't covered last year was was really nice, nice feeling. But I was really wiped, and that was a hard night to finish. Um, and then, then after that last twelve mile section, I took a, a one hour sleep and felt much better. After that, I woke up and was more energized. But going into that 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 night was was a, that was a real tough night. And where were you sleeping during this time? Let's start to paint the picture of like who your support crew was as well, because I think this is also an interesting facet of it. Sure. Well, I had a total of about 15 people that were going to be coming and going, you know, at different, we had a schedule laid out and they would jump in at different points. And then of course, as that schedule changed, their points of jumping in had to change, but we had, we had a, a, two people that had been at the um, with me the previous year. So they were pretty um, knowledgeable what had to happen. And so they were sort of our, the crew chief for the first half and the second half. And we had them split up and both of them happened to have a Subaru Outback. And those were, that was my sleep station. In Such the back a good of that. car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was great for sleeping. It was like the Taj Mahal. <laughs> so good of course plug I was Subaru. very tired when I got to it, you know, but, and I actually took from one of your podcasts, Jason, where you talked about doing the race you had done in Europe. And I remember you had talked about, you could get through the whole first day and night without any sleep. And so that was my goal here too, was not to sleep anything the first day and night and then to, to start my sleep, which was going to be my goal was then an hour in the, at night and an hour in the morning each day. Oh, so you're breaking um, it up. You had like two one hour naps in a 24 yes. hour period past the first day. Right. Exactly. Wow. Except for the first day. So how did you feel that worked out for you? Well, it was fine for the first three and a half days, but after that, it wasn't enough. And I didn't know that, and, and that really put me in the hole. And I think it's a little bit, a little bit like um, getting dehydrated. Once you get in the hole, it's really hard to get out of it. And that really slowed me down a lot at the end, and, and it made it so I was taking all these 15-minute naps on the trails, and they just weren't doing it, you know, it it would help me for, you know, maybe a half hour, but then I would be out of it again. So yeah, the sleep aspect on these things on these like long distance hikes and 200 mile races and things like that are has been it's it's proven to be quite fascinating because nobody really knows a good answer. And it's so individual, like some people can go 50, 60 hours without sleep. And then other people mm-hmm use a two hour schedule pretty well. And then other people, they need, you know, one hour, one hour is all they can stay asleep. And other people take like little short naps and like literally just kind of like curl up on their pack for 15 minutes. And I, it, throughout all my years of trying to study that, I really haven't found anything really consistent that we can kind of stick with. So you're doing an hour twice a day for the first few days. And then at the end, it seems like it was a lot of sleepwalking and taking trail maps and things like that. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Did you have a pacer the whole time? I did. Okay. So they were monitoring your, your, uh, your sleep habits. Do you have a lot of good pictures of you like curled up on the side of the trail? That's what pacers like to do do. when they're all fresh and rested. They take (laughs) embarrassing pictures of you for blackmail. 
Right, right. <laughs> and a lot of them said that, you know, if they were, if this was a boxing match and they had a tall they could throw in, they would have thrown it in quite a few times because they said I looked so bad. Really? But I, but I just kept going. I wouldn't stop. And, you know, they would say, you need to take more sleep. And I would just, that was my schedule. So I didn't. And <laughs> so you had your crew kind of being soft on you is what you were saying. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of told me that I looked bad and I needed <laughs> more sleep, but I didn't, I didn't want to take the time, you know, I didn't want to take another hour of sleeping and, but, you know, in hindsight, I think it probably would have been good to, to get a little more. But the problem is I should have done it way sooner after the three days. I was good up to the three, three and a half days. And then then it was really hitting me. Steph, so. did y'all talk about this in advance and try to, like, work out some schedule? Yeah. And it's hard to predict because, you know, you have an idea of what's going to happen over two or three days, but then going into that uncharted territory of like day four, day five, it's like, how much does the sleep deprivation catch up with you? And we kind of talked about, okay, so a goal is, you know, this time and this schedule, but the ultimate goal for this whole project is to finish the trail. So whatever it's going to take, if you need more sleep, finishing is better than, you know, (laughs) to not finishing. So we did talk about, you know, playing it by ear a little bit as you get into day four, because there's not many people who have done runs that long without, you know, planned overnight. So, you know, we just didn't really know what to expect um, for his, his sleep needs. How technical is it? Oh, it's technical. People don't realize <laughs> that. Stephanie comes <laughs> in like right there. You've been in I Europe. Mean, so just to like, you've been in Europe, you've seen some like super yeah. technical trails. You think this is like really technical. It's technical in a different way. It's rooty and rocky. There's not smooth. You have to be aware. And so that was a concern I had like later, you know, when he's sleep deprived, picking up his feet and being aware of like what's underneath that's like, you know, you can't just disconnect and like shuffle along like you can a lot of trails out West. Yeah. And that was one, one thing that, you know, I think maybe I underestimated too, was the mental um, energy it took to concentrate because every step you take there, you had to know where that step was going there. Like you, like Stephanie just said, there's no shuffling because if you do, you're going to go down. And, um, you know, the course is so rugged with rocks, root, roots and mud. It's always one of those three. And, and, uh, and then you've got, I mean, the whole trail, we ended up doing about 70,000 feet of uh, vertical in that 310 miles and you, you kind of don't even associate that kind of elevation with Midwest trails. You would think that's more like out West. Yeah. That's a lot. It's more yeah. just like rolly. It sneaks up on you. You're never, you're never running flat. It's just like undulation. Right. So it's hard to get into a rhythm. So yes. all the technical trail sleep deprivation is ripe for having a yard sale. Did you ever like <laughs> just totally eat it, Michael, while you're out there? Well, I, I told my, there was one point, I think it was like after two and a half days, I was, I could see that I was way behind my schedule. And, and I was really concerned that my, I was concerned that I was keeping my crew out much longer than I told them I was going to be, you know, I thought it would be a four day thing for them. And I, you know, and, 
Now we're looking at five days and maybe five days plus or who knows, you know, what it was going to end up being. And and so my really my concern was, are you guys willing to stick this out? I mean, I, I really can't tell you when this is going to be over. And and they they reassured me that they were in, in it for the end. And so that helped. And I kind of forgot about what time I was going to finish then and quit looking at my chart and and just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, and that's that's how I had to get through it. But I mean, it sounds just from hearing you describe it that you're really pushing yourself like you're kind of on the rivet for the last two or three days of this thing in a number of different areas. I mean, physically sleep deprivation wise, like it just, it just sounds like you're really going for it. Oh, I was, I, you know, like, um, I've done three of before doing this, I had done three 200 mile plus races. So I kind of knew what to expect, you know, going in here, I thought, but, um, I had never hallucinated before in those, and I heard people talking about it. It always, it sounded kind of neat to me, you know, to, <laughs> I thought, well, this would be fun. But when I would get tired in those races, my head would just go down to my chest and then I would wake up and know, okay, I got to take a nap, you know, but here, uh, the morning of day four, um, I got my first taste of hallucinations and, you know, and if I don't get it again, I'll be real happy because <laughs> it was, uh, it was so weird. And, and I was just so tired that, you know, and I just, and I tried to take a nap, but the bugs, the mosquitoes were so bad. They were flying in my ears and buzzing and it's felt like a jet plane in my head. And, you know, I, I could have probably swatted 10 at once on my face and that didn't bother me, but it was, it was that they were in my ears, you know, and, and I just, so I lay down on the trail with my pacer there. This was like probably three in the morning, the fourth morning. And I, I just said, I can't nap here. We just got to push on. And that was a 12 mile section we were going through. And, and I was hallucinating everything around me, all the, natural, you know, trees and, and brush and, you know, all the stuff you have in the woods, everything turned to man-made objects. And, and, you know, it started and the ground was real dry. And uh, so it had cracks in it because it was so dry, the earth. And I, st I felt like I was running on this open grate and a metal grate. And, you know, and I could tell myself this, this isn't real. I knew that, but yet, it made it feel un, unsafe. And uh, so, you know, and I didn't know where this was going to go, you know. So I told my pacer just to stay with me and, you know, get me to the to my crew and then I would take a nap, you know. What other man-made objects were appearing out of the woods at this point? Well, I like I would see a, a leaf from a fern and it would look like a wooden pallet. Like a little, just like a normal size leaf. It looked like a full size wooden pallet. Yeah. Well, these leaves are quite big. These are giant ferns and, you know, they're probably three feet across and, and they got the, I could see the correlation because they got this sort of open webbing that, uh, and you could kind of see how you, I mean, you got to, <laughs> there's some imagination there, but, and then I would see rocks and they'd look like hubcaps or, 
I mean, but nothing looked like, nothing was natural. It was all things, you know, and nothing real scary, but just, just, all man-made things, and yet I was in a woods, you know, where there was nothing man-made, and and uh, and even the ground, you know, was this metal open grate that I was running on, and but I could tell myself it wasn't real, but it didn't help because everything <laughs> my eyes said that's what it was, and and I've, so I've always thought that ultra running induced hallucinations are some part of like a deep subconscious that just comes to the forefront. But I'm having a hard time figuring out where pallets and grates and these completely benign <laughs> objects were somehow, you know, material right. in your in your in your past or upbringing. Do you have any theories on that? Well, I just uh, the only thing I can you know think about is that I'm a, a furniture builder and and I look at you know and my background is sort of engineering and so I'm kind of a you know object kind of kind of guy so i could maybe kind of see some of those things but it was all weird yeah it was very weird <laughs> is there any one that sticks out in particular no no they were just you know and i and i just remember telling my pacer you know that hey i'm starting to hallucinate and and uh it's just getting stronger and stronger you know at first it was just a few things and then pretty soon it was everything and 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 i just told her to you know, don't usually when we would get about a mile from the um, finish uh, or from or from our crew, I would say, you know, go ahead and run ahead and tell the crew I'm going to be coming. And but I told her to stay with me because I said I didn't know where this was going to go, and I didn't know if I just go running off in the woods or you know what would happen. So, um, but yeah, yeah, you could have ended and up in Michigan. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Steph, were you uh, tracking uh, Michael while he was out oh, there? Oh yeah, yeah. I it was hard to to um, put a, put away. It was exciting, and I had not only myself, but I had my parents who live in Minnesota and all their friends tracking as well. So oh. yeah, we were following along, and um, we there was good updates. His crew did a great job of like posting photos and videos. So I would like see how he was looking every once in a while. And I remember it was maybe day three or maybe even day four where it was a video of you. You were hiking and you were just chatting away. You're just like walking down with your poles, talking about your physical therapist. And I was like, yeah, he's doing, <laughs> he, he looks pretty good <laughs> for that far in. Michael, you had set up a system where people could like text message either you or your crew and they would relay yeah. that to you. Were you getting those quite frequently while you're out on the trail? Well, the one of the problems, especially in the first day and a half, was phone connections because if they would text, it was texting my crew mm -hmm. and then my crew would uh, read those texts to me. But of course, there'd be many times they wouldn't get phone reception for eight, 12 hours at a time. Or if they did, they got it really now and then. So I would, you know, I would get these texts, but sometimes not for like eight hours at a time. Um, but when I got them, you know, then she'd have a whole list of them and she'd have to quick read them off because, you know, I wasn't going to stay there very long and she'd be reading off like 20 at a time. And, you know, and I couldn't hardly, hardly absorb them. I know, uh, Stephanie, you texted me once, at least once, but I, you know, I couldn't even absorb what was happening. I texted you like 
once every three hours. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, to I was, I was on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said you a couple as get- well, but I can imagine. I've always wondered because I know a lot of athletes like set the set something up where the outside world can communicate with them while they're doing whatever project, and. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's this experience like you had where they just get a big, huge information dump. And then yes. other times they kind of get it along the way and it's kind of fueling. I mean, did, what did you feel about that experience after it's all said and done? Well, I mean, those those texts were helpful because they were energizing. So I was glad to get them. But like, like you said, it was kind of a dump always. I would get, you know, 15 or 20 at once and 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 plus i'm half out of it you know and so to absorb it was was pretty tough um and and to even yeah i mean it was more of a overall feeling of just feeling support and and people uh encouraging me to keep going and and uh and you know that that was sort of the overall feeling but you know what i what people were actually saying and who was saying them was kind of a blur <laughs> well, I think it's awesome what you did. You know, Steph uh, clued our coaching group into what you were doing, and there was a number of us uh, watching you along the way. What did you? What are some of the more remarkable things you like took away from the whole experience? Well, I think you know probably the the biggest one that I learned was that in in fact there was a guy that was going to do this trail. Uh, tried for the FKT right after I did it. And he called me and we talked about, I gave him some tips. And I think the biggest thing I learned is that, yeah, I can go three, three and a half days on very little sleep. But after that, I got to, I got to start, you know, putting in like three, maybe even four hour naps in a 24 hour period. It's just not enough to, I can't, I can't maintain that for a long period of time. So I, I realized that, but you know, I had never gone this far in time wise. So I thought maybe I could keep that schedule on indefinitely, you know, but I guess not. Well, it's always, <laughs> so that le- was the biggest one. It's always a learning lesson. What else besides yes. the sleep? Well, um, you know, one interesting thing was sort of the, sort of the schedule that Stephanie had me doing because the the previous year I was doing back to back runs, and and I thought you know that's about all I can do is you know and I am at that time I was sixty eight and now I'm sixty nine I'll be seventy here in a month and and I I thought you know doing back to back runs was pretty good but Stephanie had me doing back to back back you know three run three hard runs in a row. And I thought, man, I don't think I can do this, you know, but, and then the other thing I did the year before was I would do like four weeks of hard training. I would do training blocks and then I would take a week and sort of have an easy week and then go back at it. Well, we didn't have any easy weeks. (laughs) Stephanie had me going just (laughs) constant and, and I never thought I was capable of doing that, but she proved me wrong that you know, I, and I didn't, you know, have any, I don't think I even came close to being injured or anything. I, I was, it surprised me that I was able to do that and in our training going up to it. And I do think, especially those three days in a row, 
maybe Stephanie, we needed to do four days or five <laughs> days in a row. Cause, uh, but I do think that helped me um, out there. Just that it's part of it's the mental part too, is just, you know, the kind of things you have to face when you're, you're running and you're tired and you're, you know, not a hundred percent, but, um, and just being able to run through that. But I think also the physical part, I mean, I felt like physically I was ready for this and Stephanie prepared me really well to do this. Steph, can you kind of give like the coaching highlights of this? Try to like encapsulate what Michael's describing, like in terms of like how he actually got ready for this. Yeah. So we we changed things up quite a bit. Um, He, Michael had really great endurance. It was something that, you know, when you're not following a, a training plan, you just go out and run. And he was really good about just consistency, getting out every single day, seven days a week, just doing his endurance runs. And so when we first started, it was winter, which kind of lends to less volume. So we started with some speed work because he had done some speed work, but it was a little bit, um, it was, it was in the, the old school style of like, you do two workouts a week, maybe on the track, and then you're doing your long run. So we really took his volume down at first, focused on getting some good speed, some good upper end fitness, and then just started to build from there. And, um, one thing we, we also, concentrated on or or tried to concentrate on with some recovery because he was so used to running every single day, not taking days off or rest days. And so we built in a little bit more recovery um, just to, to let his body come down from the, all that hard training. And then the back-to-back to back days were important just because that's what this trail was going to take, you know, for him to be out running on tired legs. And so um, you know, a lot of his training was on the roads in Duluth and in the snow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the longer days, um, really came more in the spring to getting out in the trails and he would go do his run and then come back and get his dog and take his dog out for like four extra miles. So it was, it, it was really fun to, to put this plan together because it's, you know, it's, it's such a different type of training, um, but we definitely, you know, got a lot of the upper end fitness earlier in in the the training plan, and then focused on volume. And Michael did incredible with this this training program. He he didn't really miss any days. We had enough recovery built in. Like when we got to the week before, we had a phone call and. He was confident. I was confident. It was more like, okay, let's just, we just have to twiddle our thumbs until you're ready to start because he was ready to go. And Michael, what were, when you were describing these back to back to back days, like how long were they? Oh boy. And you know, that was something that was different too, because I was the year prior when I was just training myself, I was actually going longer the first day and then quite a bit shorter the other days. And here I was going like what, what I think it was like 25 roughly the first day. And then maybe was it like 15 and 10 the, the next day? Yeah. Days? Yeah. And it kind of varied depending on the train. Yeah. We did a lot of it on, on time, but that was about the mileage. So yeah, instead yeah. of doing one huge day, it was more, more spread out over three days, but ending up being more total volume. Hmm. And did you, I take it, Stephanie, with your nutrition background, 
you were also doing some nutritional planning for this oh, as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He had everything planned, um, practiced everything during his long runs. He already had great nutrition um, habits. So we just kind of went through, okay, so what are the things you you want to be using on the trail? And then really had him practice with more of the, the simple carbohydrates while he was training, along with some of the other more complex, but we kind of broke it out. I like to call it like tier one, two, and three, just like you know you would do for any planning, but he, he had a good plan and practiced with all of that. That is the key. (laughs) So what are in the tier one, two, three foods? So it's kind of like, okay, so tier one, simple carbohydrates, that's going to be the bulk of your quick energy. So things like gels, blocks, fruit, um, white rice, just things that are going to get into your stomach quick and be, you know, used for energy immediately. Tier two, a little bit more complex. Um, that can be like bars, maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some savory options, maybe some soup with, you know, some chicken or noodles in it. And then tier three is the food you're not going to have all that often, but when you're out in the trail that long, you need real food. So it is going to resemble more real food. And so that's going to be like, you know, like a, what you think of as like a, a meal. And he had a lot of different options out there. And we talked about making sure he had those options if he needed them, but also being pretty clear about what do I need from my crew? So it wasn't like came into this huge smorgasbord of like, uh, <laughs> what am I going to choose? Michael, what was your favorite food while, while you were out there? Well, surprising, they, like after the fourth day, um, my wife had brought out pizzas for the crew and for and if you had asked me beforehand are you going to eat pizza I would have said absolutely not I mean it's too much grease and and I chowed down um uh um sausage pizza like I I mean I think every time I saw him I ate like four or five pieces and I couldn't (laughs) believe it for and that was for like four stops in a row so I mean, I got a lot of calories, but man, it must have taken two weeks for that to digest with all the grease that's with the pizza, you know. But for some reason, it it's it was what I could eat because a lot of, you know, that's one of the problems is your appetite goes south. And, uh, and this was something I, for some reason, I wanted to eat and uh, and I could get it down and it stayed down. And so... I'm sure there was a lot of calories in it, but it wasn't something you, I would have predicted. You needed the calories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't that your secret weapon in the Tour de Jean? Tour de Jean. I had my yeah, wife bring me pizza maybe. every 50K. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're motoring down the trail. You're eating pizza, sleeping in the back of your Subaru. Four days go by. You're kind of in like the home stretch. What are you thinking as you're getting close to the terminus of the trail? Well, I knew when I hit Duluth that it was pretty much a done deal because I knew the adrenaline. I had a lot of friends that came out and just joined me for sections, you know, and, and uh, so I, I just, I mean, I knew I was, unless something happened, I knew I was going to be done and finish it. Uh, It was just a matter of how much I was going to break the record by at that point. And um, so for me, it was just keeping going and, and, uh, just make sure I didn't make any bad mistakes, you know, trip on a rock and those kind of things, you know, but, um, or yeah, the pallets was, that you were seeing out on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only hallucinated that one time. I never had it again. So, 
Um, I guess I was taking enough 15 minute naps that I kept it a bay. But when I, when I hit Duluth, um, I knew that, you know, I would have a lot of friends joining me and pacing me. So that, that was a real adrenaline rush to have all my different friends join me at different points running through Duluth. And, um, you know, I did have one night after that, which, of course, then I was back by myself the the last night and then morning going into the finish because I think I finished around 1030 in the morning, roughly. And um, and that was, you know, up until the very early morning, then I had again, that was probably the last um what four maybe three or four miles then i had a bunch of people joining me again they wanted to run to the south terminus with me and that was great so we had quite a crowd there and and uh but that yeah that was good it was hard that last night and you know through the morning hours there the early morning hours uh, we got lost twice during that time and i know it was you know i know that area so well and it was just dumb mistakes because I was sleep deprived you know just missing simple trail markers and you know they weren't bad you know probably each one a half a mile extra but it um, you don't feel like doing an extra half a mile even once <laughs> at that time especially at the very end how long did you how long were you awake for during that last stretch like what did your sleep look like for the last you know a little bit of this yeah, I well, the only sleep I took the la- that last night was these 15-minute naps. And I think I did, I don't remember now for sure, two or three. Um, because I just couldn't see, you know, I probably needed it. Maybe in hindsight, I should have taken a good hour. It might have, you know, helped more. But at the time, it just felt like I can't take an hour now when I'm this close and only got this much left, you know, you just think I'll just, you know, get, get through it. And, but man, I was tired. (laughs) Just power through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you finished, like, what did you think right when you finished? Well, it was, they had set up, uh, uh, you know, they had balloons over the, the terminus area. It's, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's really nothing there, but they had set up this big sign and, you know, that I had checked it off and, and balloons there. And of course, a bunch of people welcoming me. So I was just kind of overwhelmed with uh, the, you know, being done with it. And I was glad it was over. Um, So it was nice. And it was nice to have friends there, you know, um, and, and just welcome me, you know, and knowing that it was done now. And so then we had a hike out almost a mile because you can't drive to the end so you got to hike out and so we all hiked out together it was they wanted me to lead and so i hiked we just walked out then and and uh then we got to where the vehicles were and they had a chair for me and um oh they gave me a, a can of beer <laughs> but you know, a couple sips of that, and man, that was that was not the thing to drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that last mile, you know, there's a lot of uh, routes and FKTs and things like that that in, that include this last little bit that is in between the end of the trail and where you can get to a car. 
Yeah. And it's always trivial when you look at it on paper. You know, it's a mile or two miles right. out of two or 300 miles. Yeah. yeah. It, it, but when you're actually in the middle of it, and I've been with a lot of athletes that have, that, that have been in the middle of it. It, I mean, it is a kick in the butt right when you're at your worst because all the adrenaline has gone off and you know right. that you finished and that mile might as well be another hundred miles. <laughs> it seemed like a fairly long way, but, um, but again, you know, with everybody there and we were talking and they were telling me all the stories that I never heard <laughs> because I was running, you know, like with our truck getting stuck and all these different things that happened and. Um, and so I was just entertained the whole way out, you know, so I, I wasn't really thinking about having to walk, but it, it, it was a fair walk. It seemed like <laughs> you, you had a tremendous amount of support, not only from your coach, uh, Stephanie, but also from the community that came out to come and help you out, but also right. from the virtual community as well, because you reached out to people, your crew reached out to people to like send you all these messages uh, uh, during the actual uh, event. Did you, could you feel that? Could you sense that, that the totality of that community support while you were out there? I could. And I, I think, you know, that varied at times, but the other part of that too was, you know, I was also doing this as a fundraiser for the SHT people. And I, told I, I had put this challenge out on Facebook that I would match 750 uh, or $7,500 um, that was donated to the SHT. I would match that first um, $7,500. And, you know, we ended up raising $20,275. Wow. And so, um, that was really nice to see that support. And I, I think a lot of that was because people got so excited about all this and, you know, and it took, it wasn't like a one day thing. It took, you know, these five plus days. And so people got to follow it and it, it really got them involved and, uh, you know, and, and, and they really got behind, you know, not only supporting me, but supporting the SHT people. And, and I would send messages out, you know, via my crew to have them put it on Facebook. Like the one I said that uh, we were in Duluth and we hadn't quite made my match at that point. And I, I told one of the runners, um, uh, he was actually videotaping me live and, and streaming it right to Facebook. And I said that I'm not going to cross. I'm going to stay 10 feet from the end of the trail until the match is met. <laughs> and, uh, and boy, the dollars just started flying in. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was, that was really cool to, to see that, that support as well. So the community support was in a lot of ways, like you said, uh, a lot of it was, uh, I actually, at the end, I got a list of all the people that contributed, and I would say I only knew a quarter of them yeah. by name. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, so that was really cool. A, a lot of that is you, though. I mean, you're a likable person. You're a normal person. I think people listening <laughs> to this podcast are going to like identify you. Like You're very much an everyday runner. Yeah, I think I am. I don't, yeah, I'm not a professional by any means, you know, so <laughs> the, probably the only unique thing is that I'm older than 
a lot of runners that try this, that was probably the the only thing that maybe differentiated me from other people was my age, you know. I'm so. not going to out your age, but you're more than welcome to if you oh. want to. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> I'm just saying, though, that was the one characteristic, like when they the couple of TV stations came out and interviewed me, and one of the big things they pointed out was the guy that had the record was 25, and here I'm beating it by – 28 and a half hours and and I'm 69 almost 70 you know and um so you know it was but you know for me I like I said it it's just a number and you know we do what we feel we can do and I felt like I could do this and so why not do it you know the the number shouldn't make the difference you know well god god bless you I I I bet that that's going to be an inspiration to a lot of runners both in your age group and in my age group and in uh, age groups younger than both than 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 both of us, it's certainly good. It's certainly inspiring to me, and I know a lot of people listening will be uh, inspired by it as well. Uh, where can before we let you go, where can people find more about the uh, Superior Hiking Trail? Well, the, just their website, I'm sure, and you know, if they just go to the Superior Hiking Trail, that they have a website there that'll bring them right to that and. They have a, a lot of different links to different aspects. If you want to learn about the trail or no trail conditions, all those kinds of things are on their website. And Or if you want to donate, you know, there's certainly a, a link there as well. So, um, And like these kind of times, you know, all the nonprofits are hurting. So this was, um, for me, it was, it was you know, and they, they said that this couldn't have been better timing for them because – they had lost a lot of opportunities to raise money because of what was going on. And so um, that it was nice to be able to help them this way and have other people support me with that. So, Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. It's a great one. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching you while you were doing it. Stephanie was giving us the download the entire time while you were out there. And I appreciate you being so willing to kind of share your story with, uh, with all the listeners out there. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jason. Nice to be on here. I'm honored. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks. And there you have it. Much thanks to Michael and Stephanie for coming on the Coopcast today. I'll tell you what, I just find so much inspiration from athletes like Michael. It's one of my life goals to continue to run and continue to push myself all the way to the ripe ages of late 60s and early 70s. I just cannot tell you how much inspiration I get from athletes like Michael. I hope you guys did too. All of the links to some of the things that we mentioned on the podcast, including the Superior Hiking Trail, the FKT, as well as some of the fundraising that Mike did, those are all in the show notes. I encourage everybody to go and check those out. In addition to that, if you think one of our coaches like Stephanie or any of our other incredible CTS coaches is the right coach for you, you've got some big goals lined up for this summer, just like Michael did, go ahead, hit me up on social media, go ahead and check out trainright.com. I'll be more than happy to steer you in the right direction. All right, that's all for today, folks. As always, we will see you out on the trails.